Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Welcome to This Miraculous Life on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Oliveri Olumba, and we are responding to a super important question today, which was sent to me just before the holidays, but I thought it was so important that even now that the holiday season is ending, we are going to respond today. And I have with me two amazing guests. I have my friend, Melissa Sampsons, who is here to help me respond to the letter. Um, And I'll share more about her as we we dig into the question that we received. But hey, Melissa. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for being here. No problem. And Melissa's here in live in the studio with me in Washington, D.C. And then I also have my dear friend, Louis Aloro, on the line. Are you there, Louis? I sure am, Sarah. Hi, Lewis. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so uh, Lewis is here with us also, and Lewis is someone who was important me important to me to include on this episode as well. And Lewis is a doctoral student. He is getting his uh, PhD in positive psychology at Claremont. Correct, Lewis? Yeah. Claremont Graduate University. Yeah, which is amazing. And Lewis is a change agent. And um, he's also been for the past many years, as long as I've known him, sort of training the world about social, emotional leadership and learning. Correct, Lewis? That is right, Sarah. Yeah, so so he should have some amazing insights for us today. And I'm excited because um, I, I'm excited to have both of my guests on the show today also be able to share not only their professional expertise and advice, but also what, how this question from our listener relates to them personally. So let me, let me dive into the question that we've received, and then we can go from there because I think that I have two really phenomenal guests, and I'm excited for them to share their value with us. So I put out a request before the holidays asking people to share with me any challenges or woes that they were having this holiday season that we might be able to respond to on the show. And one of the questions that I received really stood out. So let me go ahead and read the question to you. The question is is from a woman and the question says, how to create love and space when your partner is not out of the closet with their parents. And then she also shared, we are looking at a family holiday with my partner's family. I have been told that my partner's dad has said terrible things about LGBT people in the past. Dad knows me, but this is my first 
family holiday celebration. So that is what we received from a listener. And I thought it was an important and difficult question, which is why I wanted to prioritize responding. And a question that, frankly, while extra relevant around the holidays, particularly as this woman shares, if she is planning on spending the holiday with her partner's family and her partner is not out of the closet to her family. Um, But I think that this issue can also come up at other times of the year. So hence why I wanted to respond, even though, you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's have just passed. I think they're still on all of our minds. So I wanted to invite Lewis and Melissa um, to be on the show because I very much respect both of them and consider them both friends, but also because, you know, when I received this question, it was important to me that I not just sort of sit here as a straight white woman and try to say that I have all of the answers um, because I don't. And, you know, it's it's Im- something that is really important to me on this show is diversity um, and to, you know, be able to empathize and to answer all kinds of questions, you know, whether that's a question that I've experienced personally or not. And, and to really like, feel how other people are feeling, but also to include the voices of individuals who have had a similar experience themselves or who have a similar identity themselves um, and make sure that those voices and, and people who have a real lived experience are included on the show. And so that being said, I want to, I want to ask, check in with Melissa and with Lewis about Um, their initial reactions to this letter as people who are part of the LGBTQ community. Um, So I wonder, I'll start with Melissa because she's sitting here right in front of me. I wonder, Melissa, if you could introduce yourself and like your relationship with the LGBTQ community um, and also you know, and we'll we'll dig into your full story in a moment, but also if this letter resonates with you, if you've ever experienced something similar. Yeah, of course. Um, so I identify as lesbian. Um, so hearing this question uh, really resonated with me because one of my first and most significant relationships was with somebody who was closeted. So... Um, it mm. was difficult to hear that somebody may, may be having to go through that. You know, it's, right. I know a lot of people go through that, of course, but uh, it brought back a lot for me. And I thought I could be, you know, a, a good person to kind yeah. of like give my opinion about the situation. But that's why I wanted you to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you want me to about my first thoughts about the question? Yeah. It sounds like you're already saying you can definitely relate. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, um, dated a woman for two years who Mm -hmm. was in the closet, um, almost for the entirety of our relationship. Mm -hmm. So, um, I do think that in, I mean, I was 22 years old at the time and didn't have any experience with this at all. So it probably would have been helpful to hear somebody else's experience or opinion. But, um, I do think it's really important that this person who wrote you the letter mentioned that she wanted to create love and space for yeah. their partner for their partner who is closeted. Um, it's extremely difficult to go into a home of your partner's 
with their entire family and having them not know who you really are to that person. Right. Um, and so I'm excited to discuss all of the, you know, components of that and how important it is to kind of just be ready for that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Lewis, how about you? So Lewis, I'm curious to get your initial reactions to the question that we received, but also if you're willing to share a little bit about your own relationship to the LGBT community. Sure. Um, So I came out 22 years ago Mm. when I was 18 years old Mm -hmm. Um, in 1996. It was a different time. It was before even Ellen came out on television. Wow. Wow. Um, So I think for me, congratulations on doing that, by the way. I think that that's an act of bravery and authenticity and love. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hard. Very, very difficult to express your truth to people, especially folks like parents who might have different expectations of who they want you to be. Um, Right. Someone someone had shared with me once, you know, when, when you come out to your parents, we have to remember that they haven't had as much time usually, mm-hmm. um, not always, to process this information. And so um, that always resonated with me as, as truth, you know, that people may not be as, as quick to be loving and supportive um, as we may like them to be just because people have their own processes and and need time. And of course, everyone's story is different, but honestly, Sarah, in reading the question, Mm -hmm. um, my first reaction was that she should find another partner who is Mm. out of the closet. Mm. Um, Why was that your first reaction? uh, Because I think it's, it's time that people be, be courageous in who they are. I think, you know, the world is a safer place for, for many people to do that. Um, certainly not everyone. And, and, and like I said, everyone has their own process. But once sure. I really sat with the question, I, I had a different, mm. I had a different response. Which is, right. That was, you know an, right, your initial that response. Was, that was, that then, was my initial response. And when I thought about it more fully, it was, um, you know, that as a partner to anyone, um, it's our responsibility to support when we partner. And mm. sometimes that involves going through, oftentimes that involves going through life's challenges together. Right. And this is a challenge, right? right. Um, does the partner want it to be different? That's the question I have. You know, does she, um, does she, um, does she plan on it being different? Like, That's does she plan on I coming have. out ever? Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, I would like to add to that, actually. Um, I, I just want to say that I think that it's really important to respect uh, people's need or want or comfort in being closeted. But as you're saying, uh, you know, being in a partnership with somebody, that person also needs to respect that you yourself are not closeted and want to mm. be out yourself. So there needs to be a mutual respect there in that. And it's difficult to kind of balance that. Right. To create space for both. Right. Hence that word space. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and that has to do with values, I think, Melissa, that, right. that you know, do we value the same thing? And that's so important for any relationship to flourish, right. to be on the same page with that kind of, of stuff. When 
Whereas I think for me anyway, in my coming out story, I was just so delighted to <laughs> have a partner, to have a boyfriend, someone mm. to love that I've sacrificed a lot of who I was in those beginning relationships because I was excited just for a relationship. Interesting. Um, and from hindsight, they weren't the right relationships, or I shouldn't even say that they weren't the best fits. Obviously, we're not together anymore. All these years later, um, right. But right. All of the experiences are there for us to teach us something valuable. Right. Absolutely. No, I mean, Lewis, what I really love about your reaction is I love I love the authenticity of you sharing your immediate reaction, which was, you know, get a new partner. And I feel like, you know, if you've experienced anything similar, I can see why that would be a reaction, you know, because I my assumption is that that reaction comes from a place of like understanding the the pain and like the suffering and the challenge that can be involved in being a person who is out and being with a partner who is not. Um, And so I think like I really appreciate the genuineness of that reaction. But then I also appreciate you and your capacity for love of then saying, okay, taking a step back and seeing there is more space for love here um, of the the person who is not out of the closet to their family and, you know, looking at that person's experience and how coming out is part of their journey and that their partner is is there to support that journey and respect that journey. But I also something I also loved that you that you kind of included in there, Lewis, and that you mentioned when we were talking before the show is that you were even able to tap into a little bit of love and empathy for the father or the family members that are briefly mentioned in the question um, who are maybe part of the reason why this individual is not out to their family because those family members um, have not indicated that they would be accepting um, and be loving of their child's choice to be in a partnership with a, with a woman, right? Of their daughter's choice to be in a partnership with a woman. Um, and so that was, that, it was valuable for me to hear you kind of talk through that evolution, Lewis. Um, and something that you you just shared and you put it a certain way um, when we were talking before, you said that what you realized is that not only does everybody have their own coming out process, um, but also that when somebody comes out to their parents, their parents are also coming out. Is that what you said, Lewis? Yeah, something like that, <laughs> that um, that we're part of systems, right? We're not individuals in isolation, and families are systems um, right. that, you know, that we're, that, we, that we're given at birth or that we choose, if you think about it from a spiritual perspective, that we choose our families uh, before we're being, before born. Um, and, yeah, there's so many complex dynamics in any system um, mm-hmm. that, some of which we see consciously, some of it we don't know. Um, and 
as a partner coming into a family system, there's all sorts of other dynamics there, right? That you're choosing to mm. then join into someone else's family system. And all is part of the package of being in a relationship, right. for sure. I, I have a twin sister and we've always joked that we come as a package deal to whoever mm. we're going to uh, date and be with. But I, it's true, it's I all, all siblings, all families, you know, we... It's part of the package. Right. Um, Like it or not. Well, yeah, that's where filtering out who who we're going to be with um, is a process in and of itself, right? Right. Um, To see, is this a good match? What's that line from Rent? I'm looking for baggage that goes with mine. I love that line. From the musical Rent. I'm looking for baggage that goes with mine. I like it. I like it. Awesome. Well, I have I have a few more questions for you about that later, Lewis. Um, but I appreciate I loved hearing the evolution, and I appreciate hearing a little bit of your story too. Uh, I want to I want to check in with Melissa because I know she's shared with me that she's had a similar experience to the person who wrote us this question, and the person who wrote us this question is a woman who has a partner who is a woman um, who's dealing with the challenge of hanging out and spending time with her partner's family and her partner's family doesn't know that she is their daughter's partner, right? So I wonder, Melissa, if you would be willing to share a little bit more of your personal story of when that happened in your life and basically when that happened in your life, tell us that story and then I would love to hear like looking back on it, what you learned and what advice you would give yourself now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I came out when I was 19. I'm, I'm now 30. So um, I dated this girl when I was 21 to 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's funny um, what Lewis said about, you know, running in the other direction when you date somebody who, you know, might be closeted, but, Mm. um, it, it kind of develops in a way, which I'm sure both of you can understand that, you know, maybe you don't really see it that way initially. And then you build this connection with a person and you know that they're closeted at the time, but you kind of have this idea that if they're in a relationship with you and they're wanting to be with you, that ultimately that will just come naturally. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're waiting or you're enjoying the relationship and you're kind of not really noticing the small, you know, nuances of not being out with this person, like can't hold their hand in public, you know, can't be, you know, outwardly flirty or, um, and this is all way before any family is even involved, you know? So, um, I met this girl when I was in college and, um, we dated for probably five or six months before I really started to notice that, I was being hidden Mm, and mm -hmm. um, also at the same time she had been in a relationship with a man prior to me for about a year and apparently had not told any of her family that they had broken up which I didn't know about oh she didn't tell you that she did not tell me no that well she didn't tell me that her family didn't know that That her family thought she was still with the ex-boyfriend right yeah so I discovered um, one morning before actually subsequently before a very very large final exam that I had oh boy um that her family still thought they were together Mm -hmm. so that was a really tough time and at that point I had been with her like I said for about five or six months and um you know she kind of calmed me down about it and said that you know she had planned to you know make it right and that she wanted to be with me so and I had had strong feelings at that you know time Mm -hmm. so I decided I was going to give her you know some time and not try to 
push her, you know, you don't want to push anybody out of the closet. Right. And as I discussed with you before the show, I think it's important to respect everybody's coming out stories. Right. I was already out. I had dated one person before her. My parents already knew. Um, mm-hmm. All my friends knew. All my friends were like, what are you doing? <laughs> this mm-hmm. person's not, mm-hmm. you know, um, proud of you. You know, they right. would say that to me. And that really, you know, hit me hard because I was like, she has to be proud of me, you know, because mm-hmm. she's with me and, you know, we feel this way about each other. And um, I kind of had to come to terms with waiting. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's really difficult to put yourself in a position where you're willing or wanting to wait for somebody and also, you know, dealing with the feelings that you're having about not being shown to everybody else mm, right because um, like right now i'm in a relationship with somebody who immediately was like yes this is the relationship we're together i'm proud of this person um and that feels incredible right um however this was eight years ago right. you know i was younger i had no idea you know how to self-love and all that kind of stuff so mm. um so ultimately uh we broke up about it was almost two years we were together um, but I, I went to many events where her, her family didn't know she was out. Towards the end of the relationship, her, her parents did know I was out, or I was her partner, but... Um, oh, they did? They did towards the end, yeah. And they never treated me in any negative sort of way, even when they knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a situation where, actually, most of my relationships, regardless of the parents, you know, not being in agreement with homosexual relationships were always very respectful towards me. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I just, it, it takes a lot. It takes a major toll on you emotionally. You have to be willing to wait for this person, hoping that they're going to come out or you like Lewis said, find somebody else Mm. because it's, it's difficult on you. It's difficult on the person who's in the closet, who isn't coming out. A lot of resentment builds, right. Um, you know, things can turn for the worse. It's just, there's all sorts of different ways that it can go. And um, it's just a journey that you kind of have to be in on or not in on, in my opinion. Right. Um, because to, to inflict all of that pain on yourself and the other person because you're not on the same page right. is, is kind of like a decision that you're making. Well, and I wonder, Melissa, in your experience... You know, you said when you had this experience and from the question we received, my understanding is that the person is the the partner of the person who wrote us the question is out, but not to their family. That that was the way I understood it. I could be wrong about that, though. Um, But my question for you, Melissa, is so it sounds like the relationship that you were in with a partner who wasn't out. was pretty painful. Yeah, it was. And it, it sounds like like there was, you, you described to me this moment, which sounds similar to a holiday moment of a graduation party mm-hmm. where you were like seated at a table with her and her ex-boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend's family and right. her family. And everybody thought her and her ex-boyfriend were partnered, were right. together. Yeah. Taking, and, taking photos together, doing things like that. It was, it was very, very painful. Right. Um, I, and I'm not sure that she knew that was going to happen. You know, right. I, I knew that, um, you know, her family didn't know that she was had been broken up with the guy. But at the actual graduation ceremony, both of the families, you know, were 
saw each other and they were greeting each other and then they were taking photos together. And I was like, what is happening here? Like, this is so crazy. And I, I just remember, you know, being, I I don't remember the exact, like, you know, how I felt. I remember how I felt in that moment. Like it felt like I was standing in a corner, like in a dark corner by myself. Mm. And I know that I don't, I don't think that I was necessarily meant to be to meant to feel that way by, you know, my partner at the time. I think she was probably kind of surprised by what was going on. Um, you know, I, it just kind of turned into just this total, um, you know, really bad memory for me, but right. Yeah. It sounds like a super painful moment. But like I said, I mean, I, I did, I did choose to be in the relationship and I, you know, was, you know, I was trying to come to terms with that and just hoping that in the end it would be what I wanted it to be, which was an, an out relationship. Right. So, yeah. So I have a question for you about that. So knowing what you know now, do you think there would have been a way for you to be in that relationship and be, have more space for the fact that your partner wasn't ready to come out Mm -hmm. yet? Yeah. And so A, to have more space, how could you have done that? And B, how could you have made the experience less painful for you? Mm -hmm. Is that even possible? Um, I think that there are components of that question that are possible. I think that the way to make it possible would be to um, be as open and honest with your partner as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is what I want our future to look like. Right. I know you're not there yet. Um, tell me where you're at. Right. Tell me what you think you'll, where you think you'll be in five months or whatever your personal timeline is for being able to give somebody time. Right. And it's also difficult to say that too, because that in and of itself is asking a person when they're going to come out or giving them like an ultimatum, like, Oh, is it going to be five months? Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be, you know, the the person you're dating probably really doesn't know, you know, it's just the time is right when the time is right. And so, um, yeah, it's go ahead. It's interesting because as I hear you talking about the experience, Melissa, it sounds like regardless that experience, there's always going to be some pain involved in yeah. that experience. Mm-hmm. At the same time, listening to your story, it sounds like even aside from the partner that you were with not being out of the closet, there was a lack of communication. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, a level of just immaturity in terms of sure. you know homosexual relationships right i mean you it's it's a completely different experience than right i had ever been in and that she had ever been in mm. um so it's kind of hard to navigate something you're navigating in the dark you know i right. don't know and there's you don't not know how much to give that person you don't know how much to respect that you know that person or respect yourself or respect the decisions that you're making or come to terms with you know the decision that you made to allow you know yourself to to back away from what you've already come out as you know um or you know be in situations where you're just like someone's friend right and then you go home and you're like am I doing this to myself or Mm. you know what's Mm -hmm. but um I do think that both positions are are valid and and like you said um there is pain involved no Mm. matter how hard you try to avoid it what do you mean both positions are valid like you know be choosing to be in the closet and choosing to be out. Right. But I do think it's important to, to, to have that discussion. Right. Um, and it's right. also difficult to have that discussion as an inexperienced. Right. Right. And there's not, a, I'm sure my assumption is, and 
my observation. I can make this observation even as a person who's not gay. There's not models. Like it's not, right. we're not like obviously taught mm-hmm. what does it look like to have a healthy, happy, successful, communicative, respectful relationship with somebody of the same sex. Right. Like what are the TV shows and the families and people that I look to that I'm like, ooh, I like I like what they're doing. That looks like something that I want to emulate. Or, mm-hmm. ooh, that looks bad. Let me avoid that mistake in right. my first relationship. Yeah. You're kind of making it up as you go along. Right. Yeah, and it's also, you know, everybody, like we've said a hundred times already, it's coming out as everyone's own personal experience, but also your ability to kind of be proud of who you are is everyone's own experience also. You know, right. like... Some people, you know, might not be able to come to terms with who they are and so therefore are more hesitant to come out because now it's all, you know, labels and people are going to call you a lesbian even if you're bisexual or, you know, and that those are right. scary things as well. Right. Um, and right. I don't so know. Something that I take away from, from what you shared, and thank you so much for sharing your personal experience. I think that's, it's valuable for me to hear and understand and receive that. Um, I think it's valuable for everyone listening as well and even valuable I hope for the person who wrote us the question you know Mm -hmm. to 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 resonate with someone Um, but one thing that I take away from what you shared that is maybe a tip for the person who wrote us the question is sort of a like accepting and embracing that this there is going to be pain involved Mm -hmm. you know in Mm -hmm. this partnership and that's okay. Like there's pain involved in every partnership. Right. And that like this giving space to your partner, that's like where that like love and space comes in, like giving space for your partner's own journey of coming out, but also acknowledging that your partner's journey of coming out, whether to everyone or just to their family will at some point cause you to experience pain Mm -hmm. and like acknowledging that, and maybe even sharing that with your partner, not not to say like you need to come out soon right. or like you need to come out. This is an ultimatum for when you're going to come out, mm-hmm. but just to have openness and communication around what both people are experiencing, right. what both people's desires are, mm-hmm. what the feelings are. Basically, my main takeaway is more communication and more openness and not not to say to the person you know here is my demand for mm-hmm. your coming out process but to say to the person here's what i'm feeling mm-hmm. you know here's what i really desire for my life right. here's how i want to support you yeah here's how you know i'm happy and like excited to support you but also i need you to understand and like give me some gratitude and like love for how my supporting you through this process causes me pain and stress. Right. Um, yeah, I think as so, much as much also as much respect as possible. Right. For, you know, the person's experience. And um, I think everything that you're saying is spot on. Um, it's Lewis. I was just going to add, I think yeah. that it involves um, we, we've kind of said it, but not so overtly. There's a developmental aspect here mm. of, you know, how old is someone, how developmentally, right. you know, uh, capable are they to be in a, in an intimate relationship like this? Like you said, Sarah, mm. we're not, well, you said that gay people aren't taught, but I, I would say that 
that all people are mm. not always taught how to have healthy relationships and good communication. I, I don't know that good sexual point. orientation has so much to do with it as much as it does. A, right. That's a very good point. And awarenesses that we can have around what's important. Um, and then, and then the courage to actually speak your truth, you know, not, not just to know what it is that you want, but also then to be able to speak it um, and know that it might be different than what somebody else wants. And that's how you kind of discern who is the best partner for me, who's, who's my person right now, knowing that there are so many people that it could be. Right. Right. I think part of what flips people up sometimes, I know it did me for a really long time, was thinking that there was one soulmate out there for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anything is further from the truth because there's all sorts of people I can choose, like what's is saying, it's a choice to be in a relationship with. And getting good at, at like I said, filtering and, and, and like kind of coming to the place of, yeah, this, this is right for me in this time and space. And you know what? Maybe it is part of this person's journey to help this other woman come out and, and navigate a family system that may not be as, um, as loving and respectful. Right. And maybe it's not. Like, only she knows that. Right. And her truth and her intuition. Um, and that's something that, for me, in learning positive psychology and mindfulness and, and really getting attuned that way, I've gotten better and better at, at, at sharpening my intuition to know, hell yes, maybe, or <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> can you, Louis, um, can you give us any of the, of the tips or tools that have worked for you in sharpening that intuition? Like, how do you know if, a, if it's a hell's yes, a maybe, or a definitely not? <laughs> <laughs> well, you practice, you practice, um, you practice like you would driving a car, you know, you, you practice in the parking lot before you take it to the highway. Mm -hmm. So before you're trying to figure out who your life partner is, you maybe just, you know, check in with yourself before you eat breakfast and, and try to see what is my body calling for right now? Uh, you know, like what, right. Like, you what know, do what, I really what, want for breakfast? Not yeah, just starting with like, who do I really yeah. want to be with for the rest of my entire life? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a great point. Or, yeah, um, <laughs> the breakfast one is actually harder for me. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many good options. But I think it's a it's a great point. So you're saying, yeah, learning to check in more with yourself and your body and tune in with your intuition and really be able to sort of trust yourself in answering the question of like, is this what I want to choose for my life right now? Right. Right. Because that self-awareness really is about self-compassion and self-love, which I know is part of my life's journey and, and many people I work with to, to up that game of self-love. Um, right. Actually. And, and yeah, that was a question I wanted to ask you, Lewis, because uh, this person specifically makes mention their question says how to create love and space and love is your specialty, Lewis. <laughs> um, Lewis, for, for those who don't know, Lewis has a tattoo that says, I choose love. Is that correct? That is right. Yeah. And he has a Facebook page that says, I choose love. And um, he, he educates people about 
leading in a way that is social and emotional and connected with love. So I wonder, Lewis, if you have any any tips, thoughts for this person who wrote to us about how to create that love component in the circumstance that they're dealing with. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think most simply, love is something you need to choose, choose, and choose again. Mm. It is not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time choice. It's, it's just from moment to moment. It's something that we choose. Right. And the choice is really to either lean in, I choose love, or lean out. I choose fear, I choose anger, I choose mm-hmm. whatever. But but love is a leaning in, and we were talking before the show, too, about one of those Gottman, John Gottman principles, John mm-hmm. and Judy Gottman, the, the relationship researchers. Right. That flourishing relationships are all about leaning in. Right. Um, and, and knowing your partner in a way that... Um, is evolving, right? No one is the same from moment to moment. Everything is always changing. So choosing love is a is an opportunity to say, I I I value myself. I love myself so much that I then can value and love you. Mm, right? Love right. is an emotional rendering for myself first and then for other people in my life. Right. And so it really needs to and I and I know from my own experience and my own research, you know, gay people have 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 greater challenges with this sometimes because we we are in many ways in a, living in a world that um, that is so heteronormative that to be different from that is takes takes a minute to adjust to and to like mm-hmm. to really to wonder you know who am I in this and even if the world isn't receiving me am I receiving myself so that mm-hmm. I'm open to being received by my world and right. it's it's really such a such a such a, a trippy journey if you think about it. Mm. You know that it that it really has to come from within, and that's a process that I'm I'm still I still work on for myself. It's not a once sure. and done. It's it's like something that takes like recommitting takes, um, at every moment. Oh yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're saying, Lewis, that choosing love is something that you can commit to in every moment like what would be a loving reaction in this moment what would be a loving way of expressing my emotion in this moment what would be a loving way of engaging in this moment but I also hear you saying that the sort of foundation is self-love and that creating love needs to originate with self-love yeah. Yeah, it it must. Right. You know, it, it's such it's contrary to um, you know it's paradoxical maybe to what we what we assume. Like we go out looking for love because we 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 all crave being loved. But when we remember that um, that that we can love ourselves and maybe in loving ourselves most fully, we'll attract the type of love that we that we most truly desire. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and even, you know, especially when it's hard, you know, and it's, it's hard for a lot of people in a lot of moments, but like you're saying, the choice is still there. I would say that in this moment of, you know, do I want to go and participate in her family holiday, knowing that her father has said these things, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, 
yes or no. I mean, right. the choice is the choice is simple, and you could you can come with both decisions with love. Mm-hmm. Even if you say yes, you can say, you know, I choose to go into this moment knowing that it might be difficult, but doing it anyway, loving mm-hmm. him anyway, right. loving her. She's the one that the partner needs special love in this moment, I think, right? Mm-hmm. If this is the story right. and her family system isn't embracing her the way that she desires. Now, she needs love, but I, I also think she needs courage mm-hmm. because coming out is hard and it does take courage and you know i don't know if this is the right comparison to draw i've been sitting here wondering whether or not to share this but it it's present to me which is you know some people are in relationships with people who are in other relationships right they're Mm -hmm. cheating on their partner Mm -hmm. and you hear this story a lot where someone will say oh she's gonna she's gonna um she's gonna break up with her, right. with her husband or her right. wife, right? right. She's going to leave them. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. she's going to leave them. She tells me she's going to leave them. And what the tale is all the time is that that person actually never does, mm. right? So that the, 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 the person who chooses to be having an affair is left, you know, disappointed, sad, angry, frustrated. But I'm drawing the comparison here to what it means to have a courageous conversation with somebody. Right. And, and, you know, and it's that partner's responsibility to be honest and authentic and truthful, even when it's hard to be honest and authentic and truthful. And, and to me, that for the you person mean, who wrote this letter, mm-hmm. it's, her, it's her partner's responsibility mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. you know, and all she could do is love her. Right. And maybe sometimes... Sometimes the most loving response is, I, we can't be together right now because right. I, this, is not, this is not good for me. This is not what I want. This right. is not what I need. You know? And I still love you. That's what I'm, you could still be loving in that um, and, and have, have, a, have that life experience. In a way, it's starting to sound like the question we received shows <clears throat> how much insight the person who wrote to us already has because they wrote how to create love and space and like what it seems like we're kind of taking from all all of these examples and discussions is that the person who wrote to us it seems like what their partner is in need of is love and space right yeah and i think that you know it's what we're kind of rounding on here is the the stage of development in which an individual is in understanding themselves and their self love. Mm-hmm. Like when you're with somebody who's closeted and, you know, um, they may not be at the stage that you're at in your life and accepting yourself and loving yourself. They may, may not be there yet. Right. And I'm, that's what I'm getting from Lewis or what I hear, you know, and, and am I right in that Lewis? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's where it's important to really sort of send love to that person, Mm -hmm. even though you may also be hurting, but also create space for them to, as, as Lewis is saying, and as you're saying to Melissa, that some of the decisions and the actions that need to be taken are not, are not yours to be taken. You know, the person who wrote to us, they're really the partner's decisions and actions to be taken. And and all that the person who wrote to us can do is to support them in that and to create the space that they need and allow them to 
tap into courage and tap into love themselves to make the decision that is most authentic to them. But it's not up to us to sort of force someone to to make an authentic decision right. or to get mad at them for not doing it on our timeline. Right. Um, which is like, it's interesting to hear you guys talking about this and, and something that I'll, that I'll add because to, um, it sounds like to both Melissa and to Lewis, it's important. Something that is coming out of the way that I interpret your responses is that it's important to you to almost know that the person who wrote to us, their partner is going to come out to their family eventually. Um, I'm sensing that that seems important to both of you. Um, And, you know, I guess I don't. Is that sense correct? Yeah, I mean, I would hope that we're discussing this, you know, this question in hopes that that's what, you mm-hmm. know, the the ultimate outcome is, at least since I've been in an experience like this, I would say, yeah. Um, I, I think it depends, Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know that I would say it always. And even the word eventually kind of strikes me as, as not fully accurate, you know. Right. If it is, you know, if it is, if that is the truth that it's important that, that this happened, then, then I think it is by when, you know, and right. how, like, is there a plan for that? Right. Especially when it is important for, for you. Right. So it's like the person who wrote to us needs to ask themselves, is this something that is important to me to be with a partner who is out to their parents? And, and so I want to, I want to respond to that a little bit because what I sense is that, my sense is, and I don't know if this is 100% true, but that if it was a person who you, Melissa, or you, Lewis, were in a relationship with, that might be important to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's not necessarily what's important to everyone. Um, and so there's a, there's a tool that I find really, I found this actually incredibly sort of mind-altering when I learned about this. And uh, Lewis briefly mentioned John and Julie Gottman, who are the foremost researchers on relationships. And basically, they're the first people to put any science and data behind what makes relationships thrive and last. And the truth is that most of their work has been done studying heterosexual couples, um, but my understanding is that they have also begun studying homosexual couples. Um, So I think that's awesome. But one of the things that they talk about, which sounds negative, but I find ultimately deeply positive, is they talk about the concept of solvable problems and perpetual problems. And what they say is that every relationship has solvable problems and perpetual problems. And it's exactly what it sounds like. A solvable problem is a problem where you talk about it, you figure out a solution, you come up with a system or something like that, and then the problem disappears, right? A perpetual problem is a problem that is coming from some kind of more fundamental difference, whether a fundamental difference in personality, in belief system, in priorities, in, you know, 
neatness, in organization, in religion, in money management, all of those things. Um, And what this type of problem is, is that it's never going to go away, right? What they say is that this is not the type of problem where you talk about it, you come up with a system, and then you don't have to talk about it again. No, rather a perpetual problem is something that you can have a healthy dialogue about it, but that is the goal, is to have a consistent, healthy dialogue about that problem or that difference throughout the relationship, and that because it is a quote-unquote perpetual problem, It is something that you are going to be having a dialogue about forever, right? Like this is not a problem that is going to disappear 10, 15, 20 years from now. And the thing that's really fascinating is that their research indicates that about 70% of all of the problems in each relationship are perpetual problems, not solvable problems. And when I learned that, I found it to be incredibly liberating because I was like, oh, that's why this problem isn't going away. (laughs) We're not doing it wrong, right? Like, it's not that we just haven't come up with the solution. It's that this is the solution. The solution is talking about it forever (laughs) without getting mad, without getting resentful, without developing a sense of superiority or inferiority or contempt or criticism. Um, And so that was really, really valuable to me to learn. And so for everyone listening, you know, I think a valuable thing is for us to think about in our relationships, what are the solvable and what are the perpetual problems? And to understand that with something that, to understand A, that most of the problems like it or not probably are perpetual, And B, to understand that like, that's okay. Every relationship has those. And the best that we can do is to A, not ignore it. So they talk about gridlocked perpetual problems, which is bad. Like that will deteriorate the relationship because it's basically just festering and you're either not talking about it at all. And then when it does come up, it's a it's a fight right? Versus a perpetual problem where there's a consistent, healthy dialogue around it. And basically an agreement that like, it's okay that we don't see eye to eye on this, or like, this is how we are going to compromise given that we don't have the same idea about how to navigate this. Um, So that's the goal with perpetual problems. But I went to a talk by the Gottmans and somebody asked, because most of their research is about how to make your partnership work once you've committed to it. But somebody asked about dating. They were like, "Okay, this is all cool, but I'm single. How do I choose like who to commit to? Um, And traditionally, their work is on marriage, how to make marriage last. They're like, so like, how do I even decide who to marry? And what John Gottman said, which is what I thought was really fascinating, he said, basically deciding who to marry or who to commit to um, or who to get into a committed partnership with is about deciding what perpetual problems you are willing to embrace. Um, And I, I found that to be really wonderful advice. Um, it sounds kind of negative, but I think I think it's so positive because what I understand it to mean is that everybody has something that they're working on. 
everybody that we encounter will have something that they do a little bit differently from us or value a little bit differently from us. And, you know, I think of partnerships that I've been in before I met my husband and, um, you know, basically something with there's something that there is a partner with whom this is a perpetual problem. And for you, it is really awful. And you're like, how could I ever be with a partner who does this thing? right? Or who doesn't value this thing or who behaves in this way. Whereas for somebody else, they might see that same challenge as pretty minor, right? And so I think the goal for all of us is to choose a partner with whom we feel like our perpetual problems are small stuff, you know, like basically like no big deal, you know, that is the goal. And so, you know, thinking about this question that we received, I think that the question of coming out to one's family, having a family that is supportive of the partnership, having a family that is supportive of the LGBT community, you know, all of these things are things that are potentially perpetual problems, right? Some of them might also be solvable problems. Um, but you know, somebody's somebody's family, I think that that often most often qualifies as a perpetual problem. And for for one individual being with a partner whose family feels like their family, you know, or who really embraces them or who really shares their same values um, or who doesn't put down them or like people in their community, that is essential. But for somebody else, that might be a perpetual problem that feels pretty minor to them if the one-on-one relationship that they have with this person feels phenomenal, right? Whereas for another person, them having a family that's not supportive might prevent the one-on-one relationship from feeling phenomenal. So I put that out there to share that all relationships have these perpetual problems. And I think that it's such it's so valuable to know that and know how to navigate that, which is just having a dialogue about it and not expecting it to disappear. But I think the other the piece of advice there that I find really essential is to try to understand what perpetual problems genuinely feel like they're not a big deal to you. And like genuinely, when you look at a perpetual problem in your own relationship, it doesn't seem like a character flaw in the other person to you. And I think all of us have a different idea about what that would be. Um, Lewis, Melissa, thoughts about this this piece of research from the Gottmans? Yeah, Sarah, I want to ask you... Um you said that you th- you think or you're sure that they're starting to research homosexual relations? I think. Okay. That's a good question. Because I, I do think that it's very, very interesting and compelling um, research about, especially the 70% yeah. being perpetual problems. That's like shocking to me. Um, but I do, especially, you know, with the subject that we're talking about here with your partner 
not being out to their family. Mm -hmm. It's kind of difficult to really discern whether that is a perpetual problem or whether it's a solvable problem. Yeah. So like, I don't know, you know, this, this reader who wrote into or listener who wrote Mm -hmm. into you, you know, may be thinking or hoping that it's a solvable problem and it may not be. And so, um, you know, it's, I think it will be interesting to see what kind of things come out of that research if they're, you know, looking at same sex couples because, you're hoping that it's solvable, but it may not be. And yeah, that's exactly right. And I guess probably, and I don't know if this is right or not in the context of this conversation, but probably the reason why I brought that research up and I, I've received a letter that we're going to respond to in a future episode about, um, a couple that, uh, is a, a biracial couple, Um, and you know, one, the partner who is white is not taking as strong of a stance as the partner who is black would like. Um, and so it's something that I've been thinking about as it relates to that. Mm -hmm. Um, something that I think about in my own partnership, I agree. I, I have no idea whether coming out is a solvable or perpetual problem. I would guess that the partner's family, um, not being as, open-minded and warm and embracing as would be ideal is likely a perpetual problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess my thinking about perpetual problems is that we should only be committed. Like every, we should assume that every problem in our relationship is perpetual. Okay. And this is just my thought. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm open to this being incorrect. <laughs> but my thought is that if we are in a partnership now, we should be willing, like we should say, right now, I am willing to commit to this partnership. Like Lewis said, choosing, recommitting to love in every moment. This is what I want to commit to right now even with like these challenges or these problems and that we should never be in a partnership that is only going to be satisfying to us if something changes right so that's i think why i bring that up um and like if something be if something turns out to be a solvable problem great you know, it's like icing on the cake, but given that this 70% stat and even without the 70% stat, I think it's a dangerous and B, in my opinion, kind of unfair to the person that we're committing to, to say, you know, I'm excited about committing to you. I'm really happy about this partnership. And, you know, just like on the contingency that this one thing change Mm -hmm. right or that like you improve at this or that you stop doing this right um and i think that that's a really really hard thing to do in this situation absolutely in the situation that lewis described about somebody who is maybe already in a different partnership um you know when we talk about the letter about a biracial relationship but to me it's important that if we commit to someone we commit to them as they are and understand that if there is a problem now that we are embracing 
that problem and not expecting that it will go away in order for us to be happy with the relationship. And I also think it's important to consider the weight of each problem because right. there's there may be a major difference in the weight of right. whatever the problems are. Well, and like that's I think that's like the beautiful thing is that we are always free. We're always free to choose, mm-hmm. you know, and that if we decide that something is really important to us, then we can decide that something's really important to us and that it's worth saying it's worth giving up something else. Right. Because that's what that that is something that we cannot compromise on. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's what self-love is all about. Like knowing what we're not willing to compromise on. So boundaries. Right. Any thoughts about the perpetual problem thing, Lewis? Um, Just that um, it's not our job to change other people. I think that's an important part of all of this. It's it's we can't change other people. You know, mm-hmm. we can change ourselves. We can change how we think about things. Um, but I think a lot of people go into relationships thinking that they, that they could be, they'll be the impetus to get this person to come out. And that, that kind of thinking is also problematic. Um, right. The thing about these problems too, I just want to say is that it takes time to get to know them and somebody and I say this a lot to my friends, to my clients, give yourself at least four seasons to get to know somebody. Four seasons. Uh, a full year. I like it. Four seasons. <laughs> because, you know, the truth is someone can be that, that crazy in the, in the summer, you know. Or <laughs> and we jump into relationships and we think, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm so in love. This is forever. And then slowly you start to find out things about people. That stuff takes time. So... Part of self-love is having the boundaries to say, okay, we just met. Let's, let's date. Let's get to know. That's what dating is all about, getting to know somebody. Right. I have been, you know, I've done this the wrong way and I've done it the right way. And I, and I know that doing it the right way, slow and steady, is really the way to win the race mm. and, and, and give yourself time to get to know somebody. Right. I love it. Well, us gay people like to jump in fast and furious. Is that true? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, we have to wrap up, but I'm so, 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 so thankful to Melissa and Lewis for talking with us today, for sharing your own personal experiences. That was really so important. And for sharing the advice that you have. Um, no, it was huge. I love the advice. Melissa's cringing, but I thought, I think her advice was phenomenal, especially, you know, sort of communicating back to her 22 year old self. I think that was awesome. Um, so for me, I have, I have three main takeaways of what we're sharing with the, with the person who wrote us the letter. The first one is that communication is essential. Um, over communicate rather than under communicate and that communicating doesn't have to mean putting contingencies or forcing anything onto your partner or creating an ultimatum but just sharing how you're feeling what you desire and trying to learn more about how they're feeling and what they desire and having more communication around that um the second thing that I take away is is this importance of recommitting to love in every moment, especially self-love and approaching 
each experience with the partner, with the partner's family of what does it look like to show up to this experience with love for myself? And then once I've mastered that also with love and like loving generously everyone else, even if they're not showing me love. And then the last thing we talked about was this concept of perpetual problems and understanding that every relationship has them and that we want to and need to embrace that these are not things that are going to disappear overnight and that it's important in choosing and wholeheartedly committing to a relationship that we embrace it as is and that we understand what perpetual problems feel good to us to embrace and say like, oh, like this is it. This is this is what my partner, you know, and I struggle with. Awesome. Like I can handle that. That's no big deal, you know, versus committing to something that feels like a perpetual problem that causes us to look down on our partner or feel resentful. Right. Um, so those are my three main takeaways. And I I know, uh, Jack, our studio engineer is going to kill me because we're taking too long, but do you have any, any last takeaways that you guys want to add Melissa or Lewis? You can go ahead, Lewis. I mean, I think you summarized that really nicely, Sarah. Cool. Thanks. (laughs) Beautiful host. And, uh, questions with such, with such mindfulness and care. Hmm. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you for being here. I loved having you, Lewis. Melissa, anything to add? No, I I mean, I'll just second what Lewis said. I think that the way you summarized it was great, and I think we nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. Thank you so much for being here, Melissa and Lewis, um, and everybody for listening. And as always, send us your letters at sarah at thismiraculouslife.com. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.